Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Ladies and gentlemen, you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us in New York City. Are you ready? I know I am. Hey, I'm Alex Garrett, your host for this episode, and this podcast specifically focuses on topics that should be trending. Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. We wear that shoe proudly. Well, I'm very happy to be joined by a uh, longtime friend, a few years now. He used to do the, a radio show at the station I work at, and now he's on my podcast. Robert Taub. Rob Taub, thanks for joining me tonight, and it's so good to have you on for the first time. Great to be here, Alex. Uh, first of all, how's life been since that whole day? I, ha- I know you've been busy ever since, so uh, maybe for those who remember the show, tell us what you're up to. I've been a spokesman for the American Heart Association and the American Diabetes Association joint venture called No Diabetes by Heart, and my official title is Ambassador, along with Angela Bassett, who's more famous and well-known than I am, but we're both equally passionate about our mission to help people with diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Well, let's start there. Good job. Sure, and let's start there, because I know COVID's got to be challenging with people who are at high risk, such as having diabetes. It is. Um, we could do a whole show on diabetes because there's 100 million pre-diabetics waiting in the wings, over 30 million people with diabetes in the United States, and it's growing at an epidemic rate. And uh, not to mention, I'll just give you one little statistic. In 2017, Americans spent $327 billion treating diabetes. So it shows how badly we've been handling all this, which is another reason so many people are susceptible to COVID, because we have comorbidity issues, we have comorbidity issues with them, and you know, we're, we're an unhealthy country considering how wealthy and prosperous and smart we're supposed to be. Well, you know, Rob, the way you're talking now, you fight that good fight on Twitter, which is why I, I want to welcome you on. I mean, you literally throw stones at everybody, the governor, the president, yes, the mayor, and, and rightfully so. Um, but on this diabetes, I mean, I have tried to talk about adapting. I know one of the big deals with diabetes while we're on the topic here is amputations. Now, I don't know the actual stat you might know, but how, how can your organization help people get through the amputation part if they have diabetes and that leads to that unfortunate happening? And the big there again is we're a reactive society and not proactive. And probably my closest friend of my entire life in childhood, uh, Steve Montjoy, who died about six years ago from complications with diabetes because he needed an amputation and he didn't want to go through it and went to hospice and died. But the problem with Steve was he was morbidly obese. And what happens with diabetes is your body isn't creating enough insulin. The, the, the insulin can't take the sugar in your system and transport it to your cells for energy. So what happens is that sugar just stays in your bloodstream and it damages your nerves. And it, it, you, you start with, you'll, Steve had some of his toes amputated and they were going to take the whole leg. But that's what eventually happens. You get nerve damage. You, you, can't, you can't heal from an infection. You'll get an infection in your leg or your toes, and they'll, they'll have to remove it, or fingers. And, you know, but, but a real big problem with it is with people 
like like my friend Steve, it had would have been preventable had he followed a better diet, a pattern of exercise, and taken the medications that he was supposed to. But doctors call it non-compliance, and it's a big problem. Look, I've had a problem with compliance back and forth too. It's diabetes is a daily battle, and and it's a self-managed disease. So it's not like you just go get treated, even if it's like chemotherapy for six months and you're better or you die. It's just you go on and on forever. But we're here actually to talk about an incident I had on the subway, so I don't want to digress too much. And one more thing just for people to know yeah. about diabetes, no diabetes by heart.org. Rob Taub's there if you need more information. But yes, yes, this incident on Sunday, which bothered me because you made the point, hey, we can't have 10 plus gatherings, but you're going to let someone terrorize a subway. What was your tweet about? And tell us about this. Well, let me preface the whole conversation by saying, February 8th, Alex, if you'd like to get me a card by then, I'll be 65 years old. So I have some life experience. I've lived in and around New York my entire life. I'm a native New Yorker. I've been riding the subway by myself since 1969. And I've experienced every kind of incident you can imagine on the subway. Uh, and in, but what I've, I've finally seen in, in my adult life is the subway becoming placed a, a device system to get me around and, and bring me where I want to go in, in very effectively, efficiently, cleanly with air conditioning in the summers and things that I never used to have. But of late, I've seen such a rapid deterioration. And Saturday night, I was going to meet my wife and son at a a restaurant, and I, got, and I got on the subway at 96th and Lex, and immediately I could smell weed uh, in, in the whole station, and there was a, a man and a woman that were smoking, no masks, and they were obviously really high and drunk, and the guy had a cigarette lighter, and he was going up to people and putting the lighter, like, under their nose, and intimidating them, and, of course, you know, the, the station agent was there selling metro cards or whatever they do, they called no one, they didn't notify the police. And he was especially picking on people who were there with young kids or who were much older because they're easier to intimidate. And so uh, then we got in the subway car and he began going up and doing it with a cigarette lighter in people's faces and screaming at them and uh, trying to make them take a hit, of, a hit off of his joint. And he was a big, scary, intimidating guy. And obviously he was reveling in, in the whole experience of doing this. So being the constant tweeter that I am, I tweeted NYPD, Mayor de Blasio, Governor Cuomo, and the New York City subway system. And obviously the subway system paid attention because they responded immediately, telling me not to get too close to him. And then, then an announcement was made on the train, which made me laugh out loud. Whoever is smoking pot, please stop. That sounds so 70s, by the way. So, well, see, the difference is in the 70s, if you lit up a joint, you'd be like a hippie back then and wouldn't bother anybody. This guy was trying to frighten, intimidate, and terrorize people and and coughing on them purposely while he was not wearing a mask. But there again, you have a governor that's telling people you can't have a Thanksgiving dinner in your home with 10 people, but it's okay to run amok on the subway without a mask, smoke weed, and scare the living know-what out of people. Bob, you and actually you know what? I was a little scared. Absolutely. Now, I had an incident, too, where I saw a man get angry. He was also yelling at people. He yelled at the 
two-year-old and her mother and his mother because the kid didn't have a mask on or whatever. It was, it was not good. But I was next to the, you know, in between car door. I was sitting next to that door. The guy kicks the door. And I'm like, this is what the city's become. But what I'm worried about is people are writing this off as mental health and not violence. Have you found that when you try and argue this? It's like, no, it's the mental health. It's not violence or anything like that. Like, I think there's a violent component to it as well when, when they do these kinds of things. Well, you know, the whole issue with that is, and this leads me to my further outrage about the city, is we have a, I don't know what you call it, something started by Mayor de Blasio's wife called Thrive New York City, which had a $1.25 billion budget, which is completely unaccounted for. And when she's asked about it, she says, you're all haters or racists or whatever she wants to do to cover up the graft or the mismanagement. But it's it's not like I'm demeaning the homeless or the mentally ill or or picking on them. I'm saying more to I'm complaining about our politicians saying we're spending the tax dollars. We have the money. Why, why are the mentally ill allowed to run them up? Which is what I think this guy was more than anything else. And, and, you know, that's, that's the great irony. When I was in the sixties and seventies, the city had no budget. There was no money. The subways were falling apart. They, you'd wait 45 minutes for a train to come. We've, we've come past that. We have, the, well, we're, we're probably headed back towards bankruptcy, but the last few years we've had the money, we've had the budget, and it's mismanaged, mismanaged and misused by incompetent politicians. So that's where my outrage comes from. On the MTA, I'm sure, I know you're not in, in state right now, but you, you keep in touch with New York, and you're seeing this budget plan by the MTA. Uh, I've never thought to say save the MTA, but I feel like while we hate them for spending the money, we need them, right? So what do you make of all of these budget cuts that could be happening? I, well, this has been brewing for years. And it's funny, when I was a contributor on Fox News, I was one of the few Democrats then, uh, what I used to talk about was fiscal mismanagement because I'm a, a moderate Democrat and a sane liberal. And one of the things I found was people have the Internet at their fingertips now. I, I urge your listeners and you to Google the Inspector General, and you can also Google the MTA, and you'll find out how much people are retiring on, and why are we paying people $456,000 a year in retirement benefits because they worked overtime their last two years. So we can't fund the pensions of the MTA. That's really what the story is about, and so that's why when taxes go up, we don't build new bridges or fix the roads or make things better. We go to fund the the, the union pensions that have been mis, mishandled and badly negotiated by people like Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, you, you're a longtime journalist, and I've got to ask, covering the city now versus covering it then, what are the differences, any similarities to what you're seeing uh, and what you've seen? Well, we've had incompetent mayors before, but like like David Dinkins, but at least he loved the city. And de Blasio roots for the Boston Red Sox. But one thing I'll tell you growing up around politics, because my family was involved, is there's a great line by the movie, the filmmaker Werner Herzog, the world reveals itself to those who travel on foot. And now politicians, liberal, conservative, Republican, they're not in touch with their constituency. 
they really know, you know, Michael Bloomberg to his credit rode the subway every day. So he, he, he knew what, what was going on. I mean, think Bill de Blasio has ever ridden the subway? Never. No. Cuomo? No. You know that Cuomo flies in private jets more than any politician in this country. Documented by the New York Times, if you Google that. So I, I think we have a disconnected group of politicians who live like billionaires and really don't get it. Well, so, so much so, I'm sorry, but they, you know, Cuomo ended up flying to Georgia, you know, during this whole thing. I don't remember yes. that, but I'm like, are you supposed to quarantine now that you're back from out of state? Like, what, why does the rules not apply to you, you know? Exactly. Rob, I. Have you, um, I've got to ask, have you had any trauma, like, I don't want to say trauma, but have you had any flashbacks of that moment on the subway? Like, are you, are you a little, are you a little traumatized from what you saw? No, because I grew up in the seventies and I've seen like actual shootings, I've seen stabbings. Uh, I, you know, I got mugged when I was, when I was 18, so. And, and I had a fractured skull and my, got my nose broken. So it, it's just disturbing to me, I guess, that now I'm a little older. And it's not like I wanted to mix it up with that guy. But I, uh, more than anything, it's, it's traumatic to me to know that there are people who are younger, like my kids or you, who, who you know, you have a future and a life ahead of you. And, it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Yet, yet it is because of incompetent, uncaring, and corrupt politicians like Bill de Blasio. And so I, I, if, if that's, that's traumatizing and emotionally upsetting to me, see a city I love and I care about, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. Well, and you know, I, I know you know that I had supported Trump for a long time, and this year he kind of just lost me to be flat out. Um, but... I think blaming the president on everything is wrong too. Like I feel like they're I not. I do too. They're not directing. I, I, I'm, I'm. Listen, I really am disappointed with the Democratic Party, and I think they've lost their way. So I'll be clear about that right now. And I don't think every anybody that supports Donald Trump is a racist. I think that's a cop out. They're unhappy with policies of the Democrats. They mm-hmm. voted. They, most people the first time around didn't vote for Trump. They voted against Hillary, and the Democrats still haven't figured that out. No, they haven't yet. Biden might win. I don't know how that's going to shape up. We'll have to see. Hey, Rob, you are a tweeter, though. So you're seeing all these other things. These claim is disputed. I mean, this is not a joke. Also, making it a joke. But Twitter censorship, have you faced it? Have you gone after it? What are your thoughts on it? I think it's, it's despicable. And I think I'm really disturbed. I'm traumatized by our cancel culture and this whole woke behavior or whatever judgmentalism by by supposed liberals. Liberals are supposed to be open-minded and free-thinking and now we want to shut down anybody who doesn't believe what we believe. It's it's a scary time. My my grandparents fled fled oppression in in Russia to come here. My father fought the Nazis and decorated in World War II and came back and and faced anti-Semitism and then also uh, you know, pressure for because his grandparents were from, or his parents were from Russia, and he couldn't get certain jobs because he was accused of being a communist. So I, I just am disappointed by the short-sightedness and the myopia of, yes, of, of especially of the Democratic Party. It's, mm. it's great to, to be a Democrat as long as you think the way they do, but if you have any deviation from, 
from the party line, they, they want to crucify you. That's interesting. It's disgusting. Do you think Pelosi accepting this nomination, you know, to be speaker again, um, but they're going to try and pull her further left this time around? Do you see that happening? I do. I think that for whatever reason, the squeaky wheel's getting like the most grease. It's like, who is AOC and, 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 and her squad, and what are their qualifications? What has she done for New York? She drove Amazon out of here because she said they're going to take away the mom and pop businesses. No, if Amazon came here, we would have opened mom and pop businesses because if you bring in 150,000 employees, they're going to need dry cleaners and bodegas and and bagel shops and Dunkin' Donuts and everything else. So it's it's there. I I really despise ideologues, and that's what what the Democratic Party seems to be being taken over by. Uh, would you ever turn red? Like, are you really going to consider turning into a Republican, like putting an R in the ballot, so to speak? I will vote for the best candidate, Democrat or Republican, but I'm certainly uh, pretty displeased with a lot of what I'm seeing in, in the Democratic Party because it's all about big government and control. Uh, there's certain, look, I'm, I'm socially liberal, but I, I'm fiscally conservative. I don't believe in canceling student debt. Mm. It's absurd. Well, I, I, I don't understand the whole purpose or reasoning behind it other than let's get a whole bunch of young people who will vote Democrat because we're going to give them things for free. You know, sound like a conservative Republican. And, you know, it, it's uh, it's unbelievable because people are already struggling, to, you know, already have paid off their different, our debt, are like, why didn't we get this? You know, so it's a very, exactly. very messed up well, thing here. What if you're somebody who's been remiss and you haven't paid off your student debt at all and there's somebody else that's been working diligently to do it and they've whittled it down to almost nothing or, as you said, or they paid it off? What, what, maybe they should get all that money back then. Why isn't it, it paid back to them? I mean, the whole thing is stupid. It's like if you if you flout the rules, if you haven't paid your debt, we'll pay it for you. If you've been a good steward and a good citizen, you're a fool. I don't get the lesson there. And that is, by the way, everything, right? So you can't open up your business, but we'll let them loot right into the, your store. It's like so – I don't know who they're appealing to anymore. I just cannot recognize that. Okay, I, I, I walked because I couldn't go to my gym and I want to remain a healthy diabetic. I walked during lockdown everywhere and I walked from seven to ten miles on a given day. And I really observed that Warner Herzog quote about the world revealing itself to me. And uh, seeing, seeing stores boarded up after being looted is disgusting. And again, here's another disagreement. People try to say that looting and, and robberies were trying to blame it on Trump and white supremacists. So I'm sorry, but that wasn't the case. And why did the city get boarded up before the election? Because they were worried about Biden supporters destroying New York and other cities if Trump were elected. So I find that pretty despicable, too. And I find it disgusting that most Democrats wouldn't comment about rioting and looting over the summer and tried to blame it. On, on Trump supporters, which really wasn't the case. I was in the city. I was at Madison Avenue and 68th Street and w- when looting started and saw windows and storefronts being destroyed and smashed four, four blocks from where my ex-wife lives. So, you know, I was there. Rob, I got to also say, you know, they say, why isn't Trump doing any kind of condemning of white supremacy? He has. He's done it on camera multiple times. 
many that want to cover it. Yet you ask these people what Antifa is, they're like, we don't know. It's like, are you kidding me? You don't know what this is? Why are you playing dumb right now? I get, look, there's a, there's a level of lawlessness that de Blasio has, has accepted and allowed in New York City. And anybody that tries to deny that, then I tell them, I'll take you for a walk and, and let me know if you feel the same way. Uh, because it's... Uh, it is also heartbreaking. The streets are not safe the way they once were. It's heartbreaking. The difference is... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm interrupting. Fuck too much. No, no, you're you're doing great, but just let let me weigh in. Let me ask you this: Isn't it heartbreaking when you hear the cops say we can't do anything? I think that's the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard in the city. Yes, it's terribly upsetting, and I, mean, I just all of a sudden noticed a dearth of police officers on a. You know, you just don't see them as much anymore. And well, first of all, they're. De Blasio supposedly has issued what, what what do the cops call it a light touch? Not supposed to do anything. I mean, I, if you talk about my Twitter stuff, this goes back years ago, and I think that the De Blasio administration deleted them. But he used to attack them all the time. I I told them I said something like this is the first time since the seventies that I'm afraid to ride the subway, and one of the De Blasio's people tweeted back, oh, poor baby, scared, robbed. Like, you know, gee, thanks a lot. Thanks for supporting your taxpayer. Yeah, you're right, I'm scared. I'm like, going to go up against four kids with knives? I'm not Superman. I couldn't have done it when I was when I was 35, let alone 65. And, I've got and to you know this. what? If I probably would have beat somebody up, who do you think would have gone to jail? Me. Right, that's the other thing. But you're not burning gas either. You're not packing. <laughs> no, I don't have the heat. <laughs> which is which isn't a bad thing. I mean, you're just you're just trying to be a good citizen. That's all. And and the bad the bad the bad ones. I don't even know if we can call them citizens. Are winning right now. It's just it's unbelievable. Hey, Rob, you you had a very diverse show on nine on nine seventy and on AM nine seventy. The answer. Yeah, you had a very diverse show on there, and one of the. <laughs> facets was sports and uh, I always like talking sports with you as you know in the in the conference room and everything like that but what do you make of sports in 2020 don't you think these leagues have done a darn good job of keeping it going no matter what yeah they have I think the NBA has gotten way too political and uh, I, I'm concerned because the government has created such fear about going anywhere and doing anything. I mean, I'm calling from, from Pebble Beach, California now, and I was driving down one of these scenic roads right on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, and I see this guy walking his dog. He has a mask on, and I'm telling you, except for me and my car with the windows up, there was nobody on either side of him for a mile. So, you know, I don't think people like that are going to sporting events anytime soon. And even with the vaccine, we've, we've got... Now, I don't know what the end game is for, for Governor Cuomo and, and Governor Newsom. It's, it's other than to bankrupt the country. But uh, I'm going to be first in line to get a vaccine, and I'm, I'm ready to go back and see some sporting events. Me too. By the way, how crazy is it? You know, a week ago, he's like, well, it's too bad that this is Cuomo saying, too bad the administration's going to have this vaccine. A week later, he's like, we have to sue to get the vaccine. It's like, what world are the their minds are going crazy every week? Yeah, people should remember, we elected him to serve us and to govern, not to be, not to rule us as an emperor. 
That's what I tell a lot of my friends who think I'm crazy for picking up Cuomo. He, he doesn't tell me what to do. He's not my king. I, I don't, we, America is not that kind of place. And it seems to me to be if there was a society for mental maniacs, he'd be the president. Well, I was going to say, do you think he was, I felt like he was about to order the presidential seal and put it right in front of him during that whole briefing time. It just felt like that, right? Like he was going to proclaim himself president. And I'm like, this guy's out of his, his wish. Exactly. Yeah, you summed it up very well. He should have had a seal because he was campaigning for it. And he came across to me more of an entertainer. I don't want to listen to this guy talk for an hour and a half. My God, I was locked down in my, my apartment, you know, just dying alone in this. Watching him was not any kind of anecdote. And when he flew to Georgia and didn't wear a mask, his brother doesn't wear masks. You know, all the politicians are, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, I got to say, since you mentioned you're in California, I thought you were going to the Newsom party to see if he was masked or not, because apparently that happened. And it's, 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 people think New York is bad. It's worse out here. There are no restaurants open. You can't go to the gym. Uh, it's when, when a waiter comes to your table or waitress, you have to put the mask on at restaurants, like even if you're within a foot of them. And I'm... I just think at some point this has to end, and we're, we're, we have vaccines. We're counting cases now rather than deaths because uh, the deaths aren't going up the way CNN has predicted. No. In, in August, CNN told us that by November there would be 600,000 deaths, so now there aren't. So they're talking about the cases every day. Yeah, there are more cases because people are being tested more. But Rob, uh, you and I agree to lock down even a sporting event for – I'm sorry to put it this way. Under 100 deaths doesn't make sense. I, even under 50 deaths. Like I, it just – all these lockdowns for a less than uh, – like a quarter deaths is, is just – it mind boggles. And I'm not saying we shouldn't mourn those who die from COVID. I'm just saying the, the rates are so low now. We could get back to opening if these leadership were not so stubborn. And yeah, anti-Trump. Um, I, uh, one scientist at the beginning of all this said we have to count the deaths in relation to the population of our country. So at this point, the number of deaths are less than 0.5% of the entire country. Again, I'm not mourning. It's not that I'm not mourning people or that I don't care. I've lost some really good friends. COVID. I could get COVID and die, and I'll, um, okay, I, I, I can deal with that. But at some point, how are we going to be on a red line soon? I mean, I've walked through Times Square recently, and it's like you can see the tumbleweeds blowing down the streets. So are we going to sacrifice entire industries, the movie business, Broadway, sports, restaurants, hotels? And there's a whole supply chain that goes there that is never discussed by politicians. Farms in New Jersey, the supply, the eggs and the, the meat and the, the vegetables that we're going to eat at the restaurant. It, it goes on and on and on. I'm not being cold or irrational about this. At least it should get up for discussion rather than just have, have Andrew Cuomo with a wave of a hand decide our fates. It is, it is pretty incredible. How, and by the way, Rob, I, I, you know, people can't criticize Fauci, but I'm going to say it here, and I've said it time and time again, Rob, you know, as someone who has diabetes and someone who has health issues, you go for a second opinion. This country never went for a second opinion. We 
listen to the first opinion out there, and it, it, that was the worst mistake to make. I, I agree with you there. Um, there's there's a well-known epidemiologist from Stanford, I'm kind of having the same moment, Michael Levitt, I believe, I read him every day on Twitter. Uh, it, why do we have non-Supreme Court justices that interpret the same case differently? So, yeah, I don't think Fauci should be the be-all and end-all. And uh, I don't think Andrew Cuomo is qualified to decide if the vaccine is right or wrong for me. It's a free country. This is what I'm more of a libertarian than anything else. If if a drug is produced privately by AstraZeneca or Pfizer and or another company or Bayer, and it's approved by the FDA, if Rob Tau or Alex Garrett want to take it, then it's our right as citizens to to choose to do so. Andrew Cuomo again is not my emperor. He's not there to decide for me if, if I should be allowed to have this drug. It's already been, been approved. Scientifically, and he always says follow the science. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what outrages me about these circumstances is this totalitarian behavior mm. by loudmouth like him. Rob, I want to get back to sports quickly because yeah. we did bond over it, and we love the, the the idea of sports and all these sports. But you just said politically you're worried. Do you think the politics of these sports or the COVID really hampering the economics of sports is going to be the downfall, or will we not see a downfall of sports? A combination of the two, not with baseball as much, but basketball. It's it's the same with entertainers. I think Susan Sarandon is a really good actress. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I grew up with her sister, uh, Missy, uh, but, but I don't want to hear her preaching to me about politics. I want to see a great performance from her in the film. Uh, and the same thing from LeBron James. Um, I go to sports for, to, to escape the realities and vapories of life, and I don't, I don't need to be lectured by, by, LeBron or anybody else about what I should do politically. That's all. And and uh, I I think that politics has seeped into everything. That's like think of the idiocy. James Harden wants to leave Houston because the owner of the team supports Trump. And how many of us work for somebody or work with with colleagues and associates or have bosses that may have different political points of view? That's their prerogative, and they're allowed. If they, I, I'm not going to judge them that way. I'm going to judge are they a good boss? Are they fair? Do I like working with this colleague? Do I like sharing a, a microphone with with you? Yeah, I do. So I don't care who you voted for. It's your prerogative. It's America. It's a free country. I'm not condemning you. I always liked you. I never knew who you voted for or supported, and I don't care now. You just mentioned it to me. Right, uh, exactly. I've, I've, as I said, I've supported Trump for years. Just to share with you. But I get what you're saying. By the way, weird thing, but the leaves are changing. and This matters because I'm thinking to myself, you know, nature is moving along. They're not stopping for politics. We have to be like nature now. We have to stop putting everything on hold because someone disagrees with us. we got to keep with the flow and keep this country going together. And it's just like if nature could do it, so could we. That's how I... I'm thinking of it now, but um, I want to get your thoughts on on the GM, you know, who was fired or whatever because he was in favor of anti-China, um, Maury, and then he's vilified. 
why should that Rockets GM be vilified? He was a great GM, and he was just speaking out, and he was, like, vilified by the NBA. It was ridiculous. Yeah, because the NBA probably makes more money from China, especially on the ancillary things, mm-hmm. like the jerseys and knickknacks. And, you know, I, 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 being a member of the press, I, I haven't paid for a seat at a stadium or arena in many years, but I know that they're crazily expensive. I think like to get a jersey at the NBA stores a few hundred bucks. So, uh, you know, and there's lots of people in China, so they don't want to alienate anybody. It's, I guess it's okay for them to rip Donald Trump, but you can't say anything bad about the Chinese government and their, their present behavior to its citizenry because uh, they might shut the NBA down there. And, and they yeah, almost did. I mean, I remember they actually did, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. Because of all that, they started to shut down games. It was really ridiculous to me. But, but I, I, you know, Adam Silver is pretty savvy about it, and he, I think, also saw the ratings of the playoffs dropped lower than they've ever been, and uh, he's going to muzzle the players the, the, the next year in terms of telling them, you know, letting them battle on about uh, about politics. It's it's not good, as you say. We need to. Uh... We need, we have sports as an escape, not as something that keeps everything else going on in the in the news cycle. That's not why uh, I'll tell you exists. something that I, I was talking to somebody. I was on an ESPN show years ago with somebody considerably younger than I am, and told them you know one of the things there was a bigger mystique about sports when I was a kid because like I didn't know I think until after he retired. You know, that Rod Guidry was like had that heavy cage and act mm-hmm. because nobody was ever interviewed. It would be very rare that you know the, the only person that ever got anybody on the air maybe was Howard Dosell mm-hmm. early on in his career carried a giant tape recorder around like looked like the size of a suitcase you travel Europe with now. <laughs> and so you didn't, you know, you, you knew like a, a few of the big stars, like you knew how Joe Namath spoke, or maybe Mickey Mantle, but it was seldom that anybody engaged or was on TV and you know, when, when when celebrities did stuff they, like I remember I don't know if you know this name Harlan Killebrew one of the great home run hitters yeah. he, he and Mickey Mantle did home run derby and like you know they, I remember interviewing Mantle years later and he was like man we really you know we wanted to win with a thousand bucks that was a lot of money then yeah <laughs> today <laughs> spend a grand on a bottle of champagne at a strip club uh Especially in quarantine, if you're, uh, what, that Williams from Atlanta, whoever it was, and then Georgia went to a funeral, then a strip club for wings. It was like, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, Rob, I got to ask you while we're on sports, thoughts on Tom Seaver? Because I know you grew up a big baseball fan, Tom Seaver fan. What, what are your thoughts on him? Um, when Brooks broke my heart to find out about the dementia, and, you know, he had a tough end. I mean, what a one of the greatest pitchers when I was a kid. Anybody that threw a baseball like as a pitcher in Little League and, and, and at my, my uh, summer camp where we played baseball in high school, everybody wanted to have a dirty knee because you know, his, his motion brought the knee down onto the mound. And, uh, he was, there was nobody like him. I mean, and, and um, he was a great broadcaster too. And uh, Ron Swoboda always spoke so highly of him. I had Ron on my show many times. And Seymour uh, was somebody I never got to meet. I always would have loved to have worked with Lena Booth or on the show. But uh, he was always one of my heroes. And 
just a great man. And uh, his wife, Nancy, was a lovely person, too, or is. And, uh, no, it just, uh, I remember the 69 Mets like it was yesterday. I was 13 years old. Well, and I'm going to miss Buddy Harrelson whenever his time is. Um, but, no, Tom Seaver was very, you know, he went to my high school, the Henry Viscardi School, for a couple of sports night events. I had met him in the booth. Um, and as I said in my Facebook, I thought, you didn't, we didn't get to see him in this generation, but to hear his his wisdom on, on baseball and everything was just so cool. And that unique voice, like you got to love that voice, right? So it was just like everything about him was, was very mystique. And um, as you know, probably, and, and feel, the city has lost that mystique in sports. We haven't had a championship since, what, the Giants in 12. Um, yeah. Why are we such a mediocre te- city? I feel like we used to be the feared city. Now we're kind of mediocre or whatever you want to call it. I, you know, one of the – this could make a difference, but it's not as much – not as much of a media city anymore because you have uh, you know, satellite dishes and private jets. So, you know, it used to be remember when Walt Frazier spent like, his last season in Cleveland and he was like, I'm living in a car department, man. What, what is that? You know, and, you know, I'm stuck in Cleveland. I mean, it, it, I'll give you an example. This, the way television changed everything in terms of cable and satellite is and, and dishes is it used to be when I was a sports editor in my high school paper, you know, you, you know, like 10 big college teams you, you had to know about because that, those are the places the scouts could go. Hmm. Then eventually you had videotape and, and you know, scouts could watch watch any school on the dish. And so you could have somebody playing at Gazanka State and it could be good and you could dress up. Whereas, you know, in the 70s, Nobody ever heard of them. That's why all the players were coming from Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Nebraska and USC and a handful of colleges in Wisconsin. And, you know, things, things change and, and cities have changed too. So there's not as much of a desperation to want to be in New York, especially if you're making big mega bucks and you're in, in Cleveland. You, you know, you're going to be a little lot better than you would in New York. Well, and somehow these teams with lower payrolls are doing better than New York. And we always are like, how do we have this big payroll, you know, on the Yanks or the Mets or the, or the you know, whoever, and we're not doing anything. It's it's very um, unsettling sometimes to me anyway. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, look, I don't think the Knicks will ever ch- get change or get better given the, the ownership that they have. And uh, look, I'll share something since the Yankees are the Yankees, but uh, – I think I wrote something negative about the Yankees, and they stopped granting me credentials. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was pretty straightforward about it when uh, I called to do, I had done a feature, and it was a front-page story about the Subway Series, and I covered it at, at City Field. So then I wanted to go back and do it at Yankee Stadium. And, and uh and somebody off, probably 19 years old, said, well, I want to know what your story is about. And I said, sure, I'll tell you what my story is about. It's about none of your effing business. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what, what are you going to dictate to me what I'm going to write? 
know, uh, I go and then he said, I'd like to know, I'd like to look at some of your work. I'm like, yeah, good. Google me. There'll be a hundred stories there. You could, you could read, you know, and, and, uh, that was when my credentials ended with the Yankees and you know what? I don't care. Uh, and it's, it's like, if, if, if there again, are we getting the censorship? Are they going to tell me what I have to write? Do I have to write a puff piece about how wonderful they are? You know, that, that I love ordering a, a beer for $9.75? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, I took my son, not as a member of the press when he was in college, to, to Camden Yards. And the hotel room a dinner oh, and, yeah. and, and seats at, at Camden Arts were cheaper than the equivalent oh. seats in staying at Yankee Stadium. So we did a road trip. There you go. You know, so I think that's a factor too. It is. And it is, you know, I, I kind of like the whole let's start the season a little later. Firstly, because when you start the season in April and you see the empty seats at both Yankee Stadium and City Field behind the plate, it's not good PR. It is just not good press to have empty seats like that. So if you started in May, like Memorial Day weekend, maybe fans will be interested again. I don't know. But that's one I thing. I think you're right. I think that's a good point. Look, when I was a kid, too, I remember, you know, the World Series was like in the high holy days. You know, now we're going into, you know, November or something. I mean, you got to wear a parka. No, that's in the day. It's in the nighttime where kids are going to sleep now. So it's just like, what are they doing? Yeah. Hey, Rob, one other aspect of, of your work is the real estate, if I'm not mistaken. So, Yeah, my family's been in that business for 100 years. My grandfather came here. I don't know if he can speak the language, but he started buying up properties. And look at that. And so the incident, to bring it kind of full circle, the incident that yeah. you witnessed on Sunday and the incidents we hear about, that's the reason why real estate's going to decline because no one really will come back to these buildings, right? Well, I think what's going to happen is the good thing is, is, is we're here to stay, people. It's de Blasio and his wife Charlene McRae can be exiled somewhere and they can move to Cuba if they'd like since that's where they hide. How about they go to the uh, border of Canada like the boyfriend of uh, Cuomo's daughter, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. They exile him to, to Ewell's in New York, seven miles from the Canadian border. Um, I, I do feel that people like me and you, we have voices, we have outlets like this, have to be vocal about it. I'm not being a whiner or a complainer. I love New York, but at the same time, I don't want some interloper like Bill de Blasio, whose real name is Barn Wilhelm Jr., coming here from Boston or wherever he's from and wrecking my city. And so he needs to be called out on it. I've, I've called him, challenged him a thousand times to come on a subway ride with me. Couldn't find the subway with two hands and a map. With his SUV, nonetheless. Yes. <laughs> it's just, and by the way, he uses it as a campaign commercial, which I was like, that's the reason we hate you, one of them anyway, that you use the SUV and gas guzzle everything in the city. It's just ridiculous. But Rob, so, so your prospect is though that the real estate market will survive? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are changes and corrections. I mean, one of the things is right now I think is impressive is you can get a mortgage for 2.75%. So, I mean, in 1979, I think the mortgage rates were almost 19%, and we were in a real recession then. So there have been bumps, and there was a, even in the financial collapse of 2007, uh, I don't think prices in Manhattan came down more than 10%. So I think that every disruption is an opportunity. 
I suggest it's a good time for for your listeners to go buy a place if right now if they want. I'll hook them up. Well, and how can they find you, Rob? What's the you way can find, you? find me at rob robtaub.com r-o-b-t-a-u-b dot c-o-m and because you're very vocal I've got to ask this one last thing yeah. election itself goes up in the air because Trump's not conceded um, although I think I wrote a story that some officials are starting to some Trump officials are starting to meet with the transition team if I'm not mistaken maybe I read that wrong but what will the outcome of this election no matter what steer us into a better way or worse way? What, what do you see? Uh, I mean, I, I see us as a very split, divided, tribal country right now. So I hope that Joe Biden is going to really be truthful and try to unite us. We need somebody to do that, but I don't think Kamala Harris is somebody that wants to unite us. Uh, I would have rather have seen Amy Klobuchar uh, in the vice presidential role. I mean, uh, Harris was the least popular candidate in the primary, but I, I, I really don't know. It remains to be seen. I can't make any predictions right now, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a concern to me. I, I love America. I love New York. I love my country. I'm, I'm you know, going to be a senior citizen soon. If I've got 15, 20 good years left, I want them to be happy ones. Amen to that, and I'd love to have uh, my 29, so I'd love to have my 50, 60 years of something back to normal in America. Yeah, I want to see you have a nice future, Alex. Well, and I've always liked talking to you, Rob, and it's good to find have you on Rob M. Taub on Twitter. T-A-U-B is where you can find Rob. And uh, please do come back as things develop. Anytime. And as, as you're seeing things. Love talking with you. Love it, too. Hey, I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.